Alright, sweetie, lights out. Can I just finish this chapter? No, it's already way past your bedtime. Come on. Dad. What? What are we doing tomorrow? I don't know, but first you have to go to sleep, okay? I love you. Daddy. What? Why did Jesus make Christmas? You know, why does it happen? Oh, well, it's actually a good story. Would you like to hear it? Yes. Before there was ever anything, there was someone. And the someone that I'm talking about is God himself. Before there was matter or stars or whirling galaxies, God existed in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, triune, infinite, and yet God was imminent. That is, God was close. He was out of this divine community of love that God created everything that is, that which has no life, inanimate objects, and that which has the gift of life. But of all the things that God ever created, the most important thing that God created and that which he truly loved was this earth, this planet. God sculpted the planet. He created the land and the sea. God also created the dry ground, the vegetation. He created the plants. God created creatures small, and God created creatures that were indeed very great. And God planted a garden in the midst of what he made. Now, God, in that garden, formed a man and a woman. He formed the man out of the dust of the ground. He took a rib out of him and fashioned that rib into this beautiful creature called woman. And God breathed into Adam the breath of life, which then passed on to the woman when God created her out of his rib. And God took the man and God took the woman to the midst of the garden. And God introduced them to a tree, not just any old tree, but a special tree, a tree that God called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said to them, you can eat any of the fruit from any of the trees, but not from this tree, for this tree is my tree. Do not take its fruit. And so the man and the woman sought to obey God, but temptation came their way. For God had given them something very unique that we think of as being referred to in the scripture as image and likeness. For God said, I will create them in my image and likeness. And image and likeness is best understood by one word, freedom. 
They had the freedom to know God and be known by God, to love God and to be loved by God. But with that freedom came the opportunity to obey or disobey. And so they disobeyed. And how it came to be is that in that tree, with that beautiful fruit, while Eve was standing near it, the enemy came. A serpent came to Eve. And the serpent suggested to Eve that God was keeping, rather, something special from her and her husband. That if they had it, they would be just like God. Why should God decide what is good and what is evil? Why can't they decide? And if they can decide what is good, and if they can decide what is evil, then they themselves will be God. So Adam and Eve took that free will, and they used it against God. Listening to the voice of Satan through the serpent, Eve took from the fruit of the tree, and she ate some and gave it to her husband, and he ate it with her. And all of a sudden, their eyes were opened. And suddenly, everything became dark. Death. Death passed on to mankind, like a shadow spreading across all of creation. Death, the thing that we all fear the most. But not just the death of the body. The separation of the spirit from God himself to be eternally lost. Was there any way for man to be reconciled? Not humanly speaking, but there was one way, but that one way would cost God his very own life. But we'll come to that later on. In the meantime, what happened was sin spread It affected their children. Cain and Abel, two of their sons, brought sacrifices to God. Cain brought the sacrifice of vegetables. Abel brought a sacrifice of a lamb. God accepted Abel's sacrifice, but rejected Cain's sacrifice. He rejected it because there was no cost to Cain's sacrifice. As a result of that, Cain became very angry at God, and took his anger out against his own brother Abel. He killed his brother. Bloodshed was spread now and would continue to be spread. It was Cain who said to God when God asked, where is your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? That question has troubled humanity ever since. I mean, think about it. If each of us would decide to be our brother or sister's keeper, if we all sought to keep each other's souls, what a different world it would be. But sin makes us selfish. Sin makes us think about ourselves. And because we think so much about ourselves, anyone that we perceive as a threat to us, well, we do harm to them. And as a result of that, Adam and Eve's descendants began to behave very wickedly. It seemed as though everyone did what was right in their own sight, deciding what was good and what was bad, what was right and what was wrong. And evil spread throughout humanity. And God looked, and there was only one righteous man left, Noah. And God spoke to Noah, 
And God said to Noah, I want you to build a great ark, a large, large boat. And I want you to bring your family into the boat, and I will send two of every creature, male and female, and they are to be gathered in the boat. For God was about to judge humanity, all of its wickedness and disobedience. After 120 years and the ark had been completed, the animals came in, and so did Noah. God caused the flood to come over the earth, and every living thing on dry land was killed. 150 days after the flood, the ark finally came to rest on the mountains of what is known as the mountains of Ararat. It seemed like a new beginning for humanity. Perhaps now man will have learned its lesson. Noah and his descendants will populate the earth and will rule and reign over the earth the way God had always intended for them to do. But pride quickly manifested itself in their hearts and in their lives. And soon the descendants of Noah gathered together on what is known as the plain of Shinar. They decided to build a great city and along with it also a very large tower to reach up into the sky, as it were. The idea behind the tower, they said, is we will make a name for ourselves. In other words, we will not listen to God. We will not go and scatter across the earth. We will not subdue the earth and manage it under God's word and guidance. We, again, will be our own God. And they defied God, and God confused their language, and God scattered them over all of the earth. The question now became, could God find anybody that would listen to him, that would obey him, that would seek to honor him? God found a man, a man that we know of as Abram. Later, his name would become known as Abraham because he would go from being the father of a nation to a father of many nations. God said to him, I want you to leave where you are. Leave your foreign gods, leave your family, leave your country, and I want you to go to a different place, a place that I will give to your descendants. And God made a wonderful promise to Abraham. The promise of heaven came down to earth, so to speak. And God said to Abraham that through you and your family, all the nations are going to find God's blessing. And so Abraham left everything behind. And Abraham went. And he made his way to this new land, this promised land. Many years went by, and Abraham became very disturbed and very discouraged. For he and his wife were already of old age. Her womb was barren. They had no child. They had no heir. How could they ever father a nation, much less nations? One night, God spoke to Abram in a vision. And God said to him, Abram, I am going to protect you. So don't be afraid. Abram, I am going to give you a great reward. And Abram said to God, I have no proof of it, God. You have not given me an heir. Everything that I have is going to be passed on to my servant Eliezer. God said, I will give you an heir and called him out of the tent. 
And God said, look up to the sky. And he looked up to the sky. And God said, do you see all those stars? Your descendants will be as innumerable as the stars that you see in the sky. And something rather amazing happened in Abram's heart. Suddenly, faith was born in his heart. And so it's recorded in the Torah that Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. And this brings us to the first great lesson of how Christmas came to be. Faith in the promises of God. Faith in the promises of God. Abram dared to believe, despite the barrenness of Sarai's womb, despite the fact that all the evidence seemed to point away from God's promise, he dared to believe that God would give him an heir even in his old age, and that his descendants would inherit the land, and that God would bless all of the earth, all of the nations, through the nation that he would father. And in that sense, Abraham becomes not only the father of his descendants in the nation of Israel, he becomes the father of all nations for anyone who truly believes. But don't misunderstand Abraham's faith. Abraham's faith is not something that he gathered from himself and focused on God and just chose to believe in ignorance. No, Abraham's faith was fostered by the very word of God. It was God that gave him the faith. It's kind of like the story of Peter in the New Testament. When Jesus asked, who do men say that I am? Peter's response was, well, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. Notice what Jesus was saying. Peter, you couldn't confess that if it hadn't been for my father's word to your heart and to your mind. My father's convincing of your soul. In the very same way, Abraham would not have had such great faith if he had not believed in what God had said to him. And that shouldn't surprise us. For it says the New Testament in the book of Romans that faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And so the question for us as we begin this series, How Christmas Came to Be, is how's your faith? How's my faith? Do I really believe in who God is and what God has said, despite how barren my life may be right now, despite the fact that maybe everything in my life seems to be going wrong right now, do I hang on, do I cling on to what God has said because God has said it? Do I have faith to believe that this child born in a manger indeed is very God himself? Do I have faith to believe that when Jesus died, he died for the sins of the world, for my sins and your sins. Do I have faith to believe that he really did rise from the dead? Do I have faith to believe that when I repent of my sins, 
and open my life up and ask him to forgive me and ask him to take over my life, that he really does that for me, that the old has passed away and behold, everything has become new. Do I have faith to believe that when I accept Christ, that the very Spirit of God comes to live in me, that I become the temple of the Holy Spirit? Do I have faith to believe that Christ is coming again someday? Do I have faith to believe that when I die, though my body decays, my spirit goes to be with the Lord in paradise? Do I have faith to believe that when Christ returns, I'll receive a resurrected body and I will reign with him forever? Do you have faith like that? That's what Christmas is all about. It's faith. Believing in God. But what really is faith? Well, there's a Hebrew word for faith. It is the word enum. And then they have an ending to it, enuma. Enu means solid. Enu means strong. When you add the ending enuma, what it means in essence is to trust in that which is solid, that which is strong, that which is truth, emuna. I have emuna in God. I have emuna in God's word. Sounds like another Hebrew word. Have you ever heard of the word Amen. Amuna, amen. Amen is a word that simply means so be it. So the question is, do I have emuna in God's amen? Do I have confidence, conviction in God's so be it? And God's so be it is, well, what God has spoken. It is God's word to you and God's word to me. How's your faith? As you begin the Christmas season at Loring Park at Edina, here at Eden Pray, those of you watching online, how's your faith? Do you believe? Or has something shaken your faith lately? A hardship, a death, an illness, a financial problem, a relational struggle. And we're human beings. And there are times that our faith is shaken. I mean, think about what faith is. Faith is believing in what you don't necessarily see. And, you know, in the modern world, a lot of us struggle with that. We have a hard time believing in that which we cannot see. But what we don't realize is we do it all the time. We do it all the time. You're doing it right now. Let me give you some examples. When you go out, and if it happens to be a clear sky and you look up, what do you see? You see starlight, right? Twinkling in the sky. But the light that you see from those stars is not the way the star is in the present moment. You're seeing what was, not what is. That light has traveled for many, many years. And you're just seeing it finally right now. You're seeing what the star was, not what it is. As I speak to you, whether you're watching online or at our campuses, when you hear my voice, you're not hearing it in the moment. You're hearing what was. Now, granted, it may be split seconds of delay between my speaking and you hearing 
but you're not hearing me immediately. The sound waves have to get to you. It's like when you go to a canyon and you call out and you hear the echo coming back. The echo is your sound waves hitting the wall, bouncing back towards you. I mean, all of life is like that. Everything we see. You're watching me right now. But you're not seeing me in the present moment. Nanoseconds are going by until the light comes into your eyes. And I become visible. So we are always seeing things that were. Not necessarily things that are right now. now. I don't know about you, but that takes a lot of faith, doesn't it? But I doubt there's anybody watching this weekend at any of our campuses who, who doubts what you're seeing, what you're hearing. You just take it for granted that it is. Why is it we would doubt God's word? God's word that echoes, like the light coming out from the stars, like the sound coming out from my mouth and from my lungs and my vocal cords. God spoke. And his sound and his word continues to reverberate to this very day. God, unlike us, has the capacity to live in the past, in the present, and in the future. And God calls us simply to have faith in who he is and what he has said. The faith to believe that what was is true and what will be is true. And that God is the same yesterday, today, in the present, and in the future tomorrow. Do you have faith? Do you have faith to believe who God is, what God has said? You know, it's okay if your faith has been shaken. That just happens. That's part of life. I like the man in the New Testament who, when he was responding to Jesus in hopes that Jesus will heal, says to him, I believe, help my unbelief. Anybody out there that's ever felt like that guy and grateful for him in the Bible? I am. <laughs> I believe, but there are times that, wow, my belief really gets stretched. Like just the other day, when I got a phone call from my mom and some friends of theirs who live in Florida were away for the Thanksgiving season. It was a pastor and his family and the son and his wife and three children were coming back and they'd been warned not to go back because it was late and he'd been working hard and he was tired. It wasn't a safe thing to do, but he insisted it would be okay that he'd driven all the way home from Tennessee to Florida before, and he could do it again. And at 5 a.m. in the morning, fell asleep at the wheel. The car rolled over, and he died, leaving a young wife and three kids. I don't know about you, but that, that shakes your faith, doesn't it? Causes you to wonder why. Cause you wonder where God is. Why does God let things like that happen, especially this time of the year? And I know that for some of you, you've gone through some hardship. You're going through some hardship. You've experienced some loss. You've had some pain in your life. And coming into the Christmas season, sometimes, well, it's just hard to have faith. But God is bigger than our circumstances. God is greater and our suffering. God, indeed, is sovereign over all things. 
And though we may not understand it, by faith, by faith, we believe that God is in control. Even when we make foolish decisions, even when we do foolish things, God is in control. And to the person who can rest their faith in God's sovereignty, oh my goodness, life is such, so much more peaceful. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And so that's why if you'll take out your worship folders and your sermon outlines, there's a prayer that I want to share with you. It's a very old prayer. You're going to find that out very quickly. It's a prayer that comes out of a little book that I have of Puritan prayers. I have come to love this book. Now, the words are a little bit archaic because they're kind of old-fashioned, but the way it the way these Puritan ministers, these Puritan Christians prayed, I don't know about you, but it just resonates so deeply with my soul. And this is a prayer asking God for faith. And I thought to myself, I need this prayer in my own life. And I thought maybe this is a prayer you could take with you as you struggle sometimes with faith. And I thought maybe it was a prayer we could all pray together in a few moments. But I want to acquaint you with the prayer first. So if you have the prayer out at all of our campuses, just follow along. I'll read. You just, you just kind of listen. My God, I bless thee that thou hast given me the eye of faith to see thee as Father, to know thee as a covenant God, to experience thy love planted in me. For faith is the grace of union by which I spell out my entitlement to thee. Faith cast my anchor upwards where I trust in thee and engage thee to be my Lord. Be pleased to live and move within me, breathing in my prayers, inhabiting my praises, speaking in my words, moving in my actions, living in my life, causing me to grow in grace. Thy bounteous goodness has helped me believe but my faith is weak and wavering. It's light dim. It's steps tottering. It's increased slow. It's backslidings frequent. It should scale the heavens, but lies groveling in the dust. Lord, fan this divine spark in a glowing flame. When faith sleeps, my heart becomes an unclean thing the fount of every loathsome desire, the cage of unclean lusts all fluttering to escape, the noxious tree of deadly fruit, the open wayside of earthly tares. Lord, awake faith to put forth its strength until all heaven fills my soul and all impurity is cast out. It's okay for you and me to tell God our faith is weak. And it's okay for us to ask God to increase our faith. It just disturbs me that so oftentimes, and even in my own life as Christians, we feel like faith depends on us. Therefore, when we struggle with faith, we just assume God's angry with us. When we struggle to have faith, we believe that God then isn't going to hear our prayers. Not true, not true at all. If these great men and women of God could pray, could pray prayers like this, 
And then so can you and me. Would you like to ask God to strengthen your faith? Then I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. Take this and I'm going to ask at all of our campuses right now if you would stand at Loring Park, Medina, here in Prairie. And we're going to read this aloud in unison together. And if you kind of stumble over the hithers and thithers, the these and the thous, that's okay. All right? But I want you as best as you can, we'll go through it slowly to kind of articulate it from your own soul. So here we go at all of our campuses. Let's, let's read it aloud together. My God, I bless thee that thou hast given me the eye of faith to see thee as father, to know thee as a covenant God, to experience thy love planted in me. For faith is the grace of union by which I spell out my entitlement to thee. Faith casts my anchor upwards where I trust in thee and engage thee to be my Lord. Be pleased to live and move within me, breathing in my prayers, inhabiting my praises, speaking in my words, moving in my actions, living in my life, causing me to grow in grace. Thy bounteous goodness has helped me believe, but my faith is weak and wavering. Its light dim, its steps tottering, its increase slow, its backslidings frequent. It should scale the heavens, but lies groveling in the dust. Lord, fan this divine spark into glowing flame. When faith sleeps, my heart becomes an unclean thing, the fount of every loathsome desire, the cage of unclean lusts, all fluttering to escape, the noxious tree of deadly fruit, the open wayside of earthly tares. Lord, awake faith to put forth its strength until all heaven fills my soul and all impurity is cast out. Father, we have prayed to you at all of our campuses, and we have asked you, O oh God, to strengthen our faith. Some of us this weekend, Lord, are struggling in our faith. We feel like the man in the New Testament who said, I believe, help my unbelief. And sometimes, Father, our unbelief seems to shadow our belief. O oh God, we pray in this Christmas season that you would increase our faith through your word, that you would strengthen our confidence through your presence, that, God, we would grow more bold in our walk with you and more aware of your presence in and around us. So that, Father, even when things happen that make no sense to us, that seem, O oh God, to point against the evidence of your presence. That, Father, we would rise above it because we cannot deny your word, your truth, and your very being. Lord, increase our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Listen, we've had an opportunity to pray about faith. Now I'm going to invite you to sing about faith. <laughs>